We live in a world that is forever changing, from one day to the next. Now add to that an inner world that is forever at odds with itself. How does one accomplish anything when the only thing that is certain is uncertainty? Welcome to the Lifting with Bipolar podcast, the show designed to be an educational safe haven offering real-world solutions for real-world people. My name is Jonathan Sharko. Living with Bipolar 1 in today's world is a double-edged sword, but I'm here to work through it with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Lifting with Bipolar podcast. My name is Jonathan Sharko. I'm your host. And today I'm really excited to have our guest on, Steve Hendricks. Uh, Steve and I are really mutual friends and we just have a lot in common kind of things like that. And just uh, I'm excited as you guys will get to learn and hear Steve talk about some of the topics that we're going to talk about today. So um, Steve, maybe you can kind of open up and just maybe introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, hi, I'm Steve Hedrick, uh, Nevada, almost a Nevada native, moved here when I was six and been living here the last uh, about 30 years. Um, you know, I have a person who likes the outdoors and um, likes um, just, yeah, likes likes life and, and such. Um, been working in the mental health field for about 20 years now, uh, various nonprofits and various kind of jobs right now, kind of working uh, doing suicide prevention. Uh, work with a couple populations. Um, we'll talk about a little later, and um, yeah, and then personal like lived experience. I I deal with um, I'm bipolar too. Deal with depression a lot, and deal with anxiety. And I've had that diagnosis for about ten years now. So kind of living with that and and trying to learn and help other people and stuff. So that's that's a little bit about me. Yeah, I mean with you with your background, pers- both personal experience and what you do for with two plus decades or, you know, two decades and more going to be going on with your career field. I'm really lucky to have you on and really kind of get your take on a few things. So, um, what are, what are some of the, maybe the populations that you do work with, with, uh, suicide prevention currently? Yeah, currently, uh, I, I kind of work in a grant, um, and we're kind of highlighting the experience of uh, native Americans and, and veterans that we work with, but mostly, so we're kind of highlighting those experiences and working with just youth in general, but, um, yeah. What are some of the make the unique challenges maybe that this po- certain population has, like when it comes to facing like with suicide prevention? You know, I think there uh, with some of these populations, there's sometimes a, a distrust in government um, because mm-hmm. of just personal experiences or historical experiences. So there's definitely can be that mistrust of government uh, and working with the system, the mental health system. So that's uh, one, I think, one hurdle to overcome. Um, I think also there's just it's a, a lot of a lot of trauma to uh, to to deal with and unpack, um, and so I think that's another kind of hurdle. And sometimes our organizations and systems we, we work with aren't the most trauma informed, and so just understanding how that 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 can have an effect. Um, I think also you know I think there's also uh, yeah just the stigma. Um, on just mental health and accessing accessing services and, and you know there's sometimes stigma around you know males um, and not wanting to get help like thinking we can do it on our own so I think those are all mm-hmm. kind of a variety of factors um, that affect some of the populations that, that yeah. I work with absolutely and I think we're in the month of June I think this is kind of a the mental the mental health awareness for men um, kind of promotional month right now it's kind of you're seeing on social media and maybe some companies and things like that going on. So yeah, there's maybe we can kind of 
transition to maybe just cherry pick off that topic right now since we're talking about stigmas like what are some of the common misconceptions um like that you really see or hear about like mental health and is there anything that we can really do to kind of break down these kind of stigmas and then that these that they're really kind of harmful in a way i think so in, in my personal opinion so yeah i mean i definitely think they are and mm-hmm. i think one of the the biggest ways to kind of um combat the stigmas i mean just a variety of them i think one of one of one of them i think is like people with mental health issues are uh violent um and that's really not usually the case mostly by far more oftentimes people with mental health issues are usually the victims of violence and or um you know we're we self-harm against ourselves uh sometimes so i think that's kind of one of the things that's like people with mental health issues um, usually aren't uh, violent. I mean, occasionally it does happen, but I think that's one thing that kind of, that's a uh, kind of helps people uh, would be a more approachable and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, here we go. All right, Steve. So yeah, we de- definitely, I definitely think the stigma of violence and mental health is really, um, unfortunately goes hand in hand. And I can personally attest to that. Um, we're oftentimes we are the victims of violence and, um, people just think we're dangerous people. So, and yeah, it kind of ties into oftentimes it's like the men who are often stigmatized and kind of feel those are the violent ones. You know, I mean, just in general, without mental health awareness, usually men are perceived as more dangerous than um, other genders and things like that. So, um, but kind of to get back into the population that you're really working with right now um, with the Native Americans and who are dealing with, it makes it makes a lot of sense to historical trauma, a distrust of government. Um, are there any kind of existing strategies that have been effective in kind of overcoming these things? And just to kind of support and meet the needs for this population when it comes to suicide prevention? You know, I, I think one of the things is, 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 um, is really looking at and encouraging the use of uh, culture as prevention mm-hmm. um, and just really encouraging organizations um, to really embrace the, their culture as a preventative factor because it has been, there's been so much, culture um historically systemically about attacking the culture of not limiting the culture you know i can really think of the uh the indian um the native american uh boarding schools like stewart indian school and stuff like that historically people were they were they were stripped of their culture and stuff so kind of this integration reintegration of culture and being able to use culture i think is really strong um so we really just encourage that as a preventative factor and we try to um work with uh, people and individuals to kind of offer programming to, uh, you know, keep some of those traditional cultural practices alive and such. Mm-hmm. So. I guess that's kind of my, my last question is like, how do we really engage and empower these communities to take an active role in these efforts to prevent suicide and like, uh, yeah, just really promote mental health wellness. And I think you were kind of touching on is really kind of getting in with the youth and, and that kind of generation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, working with youth, um, I think that's definitely one way to do it and really just, you know, offer uh, things and, and supports for, for youth and, and for people of all um, age demographics. But I mean, I think specifically youth, you know, you just kind of you reap whirlwinds when you can help the youth out. Um, and so, yeah, I think even providing, um, you know, opportunities just and, and suicide prevention and stuff, it it's really about like doing the opposite of those negative experiences and really what is what what gives people life what gives people energy so reintegrating 
by practices of getting in the outdoors, doing health, fitness activities. Like we're, I'm going to go on a hike with some people tomorrow to see some petroglyphs. So kind of understand that our some of our some people shared history um, of in the Great Basin, which is really cool, and just getting exercise and outdoors. So I think that's that's a big thing. And then it's going to be intergenerational. So we're going to get to get a chance for people to uh, share experiences, uh, get some mentoring kind of going on. So I think those are some kind of just ways that we can um, help and uh, just help these populations. Nice. Yeah, I think those are really sound um, and can be effective. I really like the fact that you're kind of not only just dealing with youth, but you're kind of um, pairing them along with the intergenerational, maybe some somebody who's a little bit ahead of them in age or in experience or wisdom, and they can kind of work together and um, really kind of build each other up, which is always nice, no matter what, what kind of culture you're in. It's always nice to have community and nice to have mentors and people you can look up to and have kind of big brothers, big sisters type of thing, kind of role models. So um, I guess I do have a few kind of questions for those uh, for those listening audio right now. Um, I guess what kind of cultural background do you have? Are you Do you identify as Native American or are you like of a different kind of subset just for people who are listening and yeah, um, no, that's a, that's an interesting thing. No, I am not Native American. I identify. <laughs> um, I'm white uh, European descent. Um, you know, I have a roots within the, the Christian uh, Protestant tra- tradition. So that's kind of where I identify. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm. I guess that's kind of maybe maybe people listening are, are asking maybe some questions that we kind of developed here in, in preparation for today. But um, this kind of relates to working just working, just being a person from a different culture and just overall topic of working with people from different cultures and experiences than yourself. So I guess the first question that we kind of had for today is how can we develop like cultural competency skills that allow us to effectively communicate, really collaborate and like really respect individuals from diverse backgrounds? Well, I think one of the first things is just to kind of, um, you know, be quiet and listen, listen to those other 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 people um listen to mm-hmm. whoever, whoever they are and kind of just kind of observe in a respect um i think you know just understand that your views are not their views and i think it's just like one kind of giving gonna starting with one of those basic ideas just listening and respect and and learning and educating yourself on those things and listening to how when that when 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 someone else speaks or what what they what they think is important and stuff so just kind of I think that's that's a really helpful um, one of those helpful starting points, and then I think also just like unifying, unifying and talking about just the personal experience of, you know, the the issue of suicide is is a is a universal human human issue. Depression is a universal human human issue, and kind of talking about mm-hmm. your individual experiences with that, I think, can also help out. Yeah, as well. So. Yeah, I don't know for this, just for this example, maybe this topic of today, I'd really kind of, I know we're kind of maybe pigeonholing ourselves into two, comparing two cultures, but I think what you kind of just said is universal and can kind of goes for all kind of, even maybe in some political aspects when, you know, you know regarding people with different politics and things like that, just sitting down and listening to the other side. I think that goes a long way for maybe even people who are liner, li- like living internationally who don't even speak this language or never hear this podcast, but I think maybe some of those people who are dealing with, you know, cross-cultural cross-cultural issues in their their own country can do the same and just take a page out of that book right there and just have an opportunity to listen and um, really just understand each other. So, um, but, but with that kind of comes misunderstandings, I guess, um, what are some common cultural misunderstandings that could possibly occur when you're dealing with like these cross-cultural interactions and um, what are some ways that we can avoid or uh, really kind of address these issues of misunderstandings? If you have, I mean, have you had any really misunderstandings yet so far dealing with your line of work and 
through your personal experience with work? Um, you know, I wouldn't say we've had any, I, I've had any really big misunderstandings okay. um, culturally. Um, I think, I think just really kind of just, you know, starting off with that respect thing, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of really avoids things and really just, um, you know, just kind of walking softly with that. Um, so I haven't, personally had any thankfully hey Steve, well thank you so much for sharing your personal experience with kind of what you're doing with your background i think it's great what you're doing with the community with the native american community really an underserved population especially here i know in northern nevada and southern nevada and um just in really across the country not uh, not just to find it this state but really i come and have an understanding that in our own background um i kind of really want to get into this topic we kind of touched on and talked about what the difference between self-care versus self-soothing is so what is what exactly is the difference between self-care and self-soothing and why is it important to kind of really understand this distinction? Yeah, no problem. I think gr great question. I mean, I think starting off with self-care is is things that we do for ourselves that take care of us, make us improve us, make us make us better. Um I think oftentimes though self-soothing is things that we do that make us temporarily feel good. Um they're mm -hmm. kind of self-soothing is really short-term rewards rewards i kind of like compare self-soothing versus self-care is kind of like fast food versus a nutritious organic meal um fast food like especially like a candy bar it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna fill you up it's gonna give you sugar and stuff like that so initially it's gonna feel good but it's not long-term good or it's kind of just watching you know, just constantly streaming of Netflix or just self self soothing or like really in quickly, instantly gratifying behaviors that long term, like you really can't uh, that can't sustain you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I would talk about self soothing. And then self care is more that nutritious to so that more positive thing. Sometimes it's painful in, in the moment, like waking up extra early to go to the gym or going to the gym after work or something like that, where it's, it's a little bit of work work, but then I think there's a lot, a lot of reward after it. So I yeah. think making that distinction, uh, and you know, I think uh, we talk about self care and stuff like that, and we kind of give it such a broad spectrum. And I, and for me, I guess I, I just think that self soothing piece of being able to recognize that for myself, because there's a lot of times when I just, I just do a lot of self soothing. And then ultimately, it kind of just it keeps me stagnant or it kind of keeps me um, down spiraling, like just kind of like Netflixing and chilling. Um, it just, it's cool for a little bit, but then it just really just makes me uh, just kind of get more depressed. And so I know that's one thing that I can think of or just, or just really un with dieting and stuff like that, you know, having an ice cream sandwich is great, makes you feel happy, but, you just can't eat ice cream sandwiches. And sometimes, you know, I, I feel like I kind of, that self-soothing piece is almost an addiction piece for me. So it's a, something to yeah. struggle with. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really a neuroscientist per se, my own personal thing. I know I've been reading a lot about it. I know there's a lot of talk about this and online and things like that. It's like the, I think like the word dopamine is a really big keyword right now, along with yeah. self-care. And mm -hmm. I know there's a book, I recently read a book called Dopamine Nation, but it was all about this kind of these like hits and what, like really what our brain is doing. And so it's like a lot of these things like a, like a candy bar, like a sugar rush, like a Netflix, like a like a social media notification on our phone or a text message or some of these things that aren't really necessarily self-care things. And I love the analogy you use is just like the candy bar and kind of versus like exercise and kind of waking up in the morning and some of those things. And yeah, it just I guess really it's really developing these kind of habits to really practice this self-care. Um, I know self-care is really big right now um, across, you know, everything that we kind of see in our in our community and things like that. So 
Uh, but I think it kind of does, does it really kind of tie into like habit forming and like healthy habit forming, especially with like balancing the demands of having a job, working relationships and other responsibilities when it comes to self-care. Yeah. I mean, I think habits are definitely uh, great and, and useful. Um, <laughs> and, I, and yeah, I mean, I think like habits, I think like routines and uh, for some people they're more useful than others, but I think consistent habits. I can also think of just characteristics of just like, Hey, I'm going to be someone who takes care of myself. I'm going to be someone who works out and really Mm -hmm. putting that, uh, when those habits are put into action, that's really when you get, um, things going And 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 I think having that in a a consistent schedule, some, somehow of a consistent schedule, whatever that looks like for you. And I think lots of different ways to do that, you know, um, but it's, that's, that's really key for, um, just really growing and keeping yourself healthy. Yeah. I know we kind of opened up with your own personal experience of living with bipolar two disorder. Um, what are some of the ways that you kind of maybe in your, in your own kind of behind the veil personal life that you kind of practice your self care versus uh, kind of self soothing? I know maybe you kind of touched on maybe just getting into a Netflix kind of hole and things like that, but what are some ways that maybe you can, Maybe some people out there listening or having common with another person who has bipolar two disorder. What are some of those things that you have to practice your self care? Yeah, I think one of those things is is really just um, is for me is getting physical, getting outside. Um, I mm-hmm. like to do a lot variety of outdoor sports, um, like kayaking for one and stuff. One and it's uh, it's a great sport, but I also need to do it with people. So it's it also forces me to kind of like okay, I need to do this with people. Um, because we need to arrange shuttling and stuff like that, which is another another good thing to kind of just engagement. So um, I think kind of a little bit of kind of forcing myself to to do out outdoor activities. I'm also trying to do activities where there's like a purpose. So sometimes maybe I don't have to talk a lot or something like that. I can just kind of do something. I can paddle with other people. Or mm-hmm. you know, for me, like sometimes I guess when I'm when I'm a little depressed, going to like groups or something like that where I know it's um, there's a set like topic, or we're going to talk about something like going to a to bipolar depression support alliance group. There's going to be kind of a structure to it that helps kind of lessen that anxiety and be like, oh, okay, I can do this, as opposed to just going to a, a straight up like networking cocktail hour somewhere, where just like, oh, talk yeah. randomly about yourself. Like that's that's a little, little that's a little tougher uh, or something for for me to do. So I think creating some of those habits and kind of breaking things down into more s- smaller, manageable things can really be helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, even though I, I have bipolar one, not necessarily bipolar two, but um, kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit. I enjoy exercising and yeah, it, it does have to be a priority. I do wake up or uh, I try to wake up early in the morning. And um, personally, I found that I found that for me to be successful since my days back in college is just kind of waking up and really having that unencumbered time with your phone's not going off. The world hasn't really woken up, at least in my time zone, it hasn't woken up and I can kind of really focus in on what I'm doing. So it doesn't necessarily have to be working out. It can be waking up and journaling, waking up and reading, waking up and, you know, doing whatever you can do, whatever you can do and joining. So it's just having that unencumbered time to really practice and do something that's really enriching your life and um, kind of building, building yourself up with, in a way, which is um, I think the real, a good definition of self-care. So I'm glad we kind of both have that in common, even though we both are, you know, bipolar one, bipolar two, but um, still the same exercise and just really forcing ourselves to have a little bit of healthy stress in a way. So. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things too, I guess I, I think of like, there are, there are, there are differences and there's lots of differences, but in, in some ways I, I also just think of like the, the similarities, you know, I think mm-hmm. fun little fact, I guess we share like 50% of our DNA with a banana. And I just think <laughs> of just like how much similar we are as people, as humans, 
there's just certain similarities that are, are you know, I, I focus on some of those just similarities that, you know, like we all, we all need food, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, dealing with these basic things of food, sleep, um, you know, we self-care, like these are things that we all need. So kind of, mm-hmm. and then, you know, really out outsourcing and really connecting with individuals of that culture to talk about more of a culturally specific thing. Um, but I think, yeah, that's kind of, kind of going with that um just those universal things that i think we can all connect with um people with mental health issues or not like we all need food we all need sleep you know so yeah I think on my title of the episode, of the, our episode today is, uh, you know, 50%, we share our DNA, 50% of a banana or something. I did not know that. I'm, I'm learning a lot of interesting facts with our conversation today. Um, and, what, and, you what, know, so- definitely double check that. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's a Google fact, but, um, you know, I could, I could be wrong. And, you know, there's, if you want to get in the nuance, it might be, yeah, worse, but you know, it's, it's good. It's fun, fun little quotes. Yeah. To think about metaphors. That. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have, uh, I'll have the, all the news outlets fact check me on this one soon. So no worries there. No, I'm just totally kidding. Um, but what is it kind of like living with bipolar one? I mean, I mean, bipolar two, like I know with my bipolar one disorder, as maybe some of the listeners know, or some of my friends and colleagues know, or those just who know about bipolar one disorder in general, it's more of on the, I, my personally, with my personal experiences is more dealing with the mania and kind of on the higher ends of things, like not necessarily the, the depression. Um, I, I do get depressive episodes and they do get really bad. And um, it's kind of like that chart where you kind of experience the highs and the lows, but in your experience, like, uh, do you have more highs or more lows with, when you're dealing with your bipolar two disorder? Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think for, for, for my experience and you know, I can't speak to all people with bipolar too, but for me, it's really much more just the struggling with the lows. Mm-hmm. Um, I very rare, I, I basically experienced, I've experienced a couple hypomania mania periods in my life, but, uh, usually not too bad. Um, and it's somewhat almost more medically induced with that was kind of before getting my diagnosis and taking antidepressants um, just because I thought I just had depression. And so that mm-hmm. was kind of the, the awakening to that, like, oh, these antidepressants can induce mania if you're bipolar, too. Um, so but so for me, I think it's much more I mean, it's much more about dealing with those depressions and, and just kind of trying to mitigate the, de- the depression aspects of life. Um, yeah. So I think it's so relatable what you just said there. Like so many yeah. times, oftentimes people who are getting misdiagnosed, they get diagnosed with depression, take these antidepressants, they have their very first hypomanic or maybe even highly manic episode. And uh, yeah, yeah then they just, then they're re-diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So um, I guess living with the lows, this is more of a serious topic that we're kind of going to dive into. So um, we are going to talk about uh, like suicidal ideation. So for those listeners who don't feel comfortable, feel free to, to tune out now. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, but this is kind of a sensitive topic. So, but definitely it's something I feel like we need to be talked talked about and discussed more openly. So um, I guess in your personal experience, uh, what does it mean to like really experience chronic suicidal ideation? And in your opinion, how does it impact a person's daily life and their mental health? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, there's just kind of this, this phrase that, you know, I kind of just really recently just kind of discovered is like a thing. It's like passive uh, chronic suicidal ideation, which is kind of just kind of mostly this kind of low level um thinking about death or, or ruminating around death and it might and uh, and i'm like wow that that really mo- mostly a, a speaks to a pers- personal experiences of myself i i sometimes have these kind of thoughts and stuff like that you know thoughts just kind of come in and out of my head a lot and um sometimes yeah and i'm just like usually i haven't been that like i've, I've had a few um 
you know, some stronger, like legitimate suicidal ideation and planning, which I had to deal with, but most, mostly it's just this kind of low level stuff. Um, mm -hmm. and just kind of coming into that awareness that this is a, this is a thing, but it's not as nearly as dangerous as, uh, like some people like to, like to think, I think we hear, we, when we think about suicide, we think about, oh my gosh, someone's going to, going to end their life immediately or, and stuff like that, which sometimes is the case that needs that really direct intervention and stuff like that. But I think when we kind of connect suicide with a longer thought with a depression and ideation and stuff like that, there's people that just kind of deal with this low level thing that I think has been really interesting for me to understand and kind of just like kind of, and for me to make kind of peace of that sometimes this happens to me and it's like, okay, so what is, what are the, what are these ideations telling me? And it's really kind of, for me, it's telling me that I need to kind of focus on my mental health. I need to focus on doing things that kind of are going to improve my life and, and make me happy doing some of those self-care aspects. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, was, I was thinking of, thank you for sharing right now. That was very, um, very deep. And I understand, you know, I appreciate it's coming from a deep space, a deep space. So I was, I was, I was thinking of asking you like, what are some things that you kind of can do to shift really your focus from this low level passive daily kind of suicidal ideation that you might be experiencing or definitely are experiencing and maybe others are experiencing out there? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the things is kind of, kind of rec recognize that you're having it. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's kind of, kind of a bit of a mindfulness practice, but just to kind of, mm -hmm. kind of recognize it. Uh, and then examine it and, and explore it a little bit. I think in some ways, you know, sometimes we get really scared, scared and we don't, we, we, we kind of think about suicide either internally or externally and we like don't want to examine it. But if we kind of explore it and kind of well, what, what is this kind of metaphorically going to try to tell me or teach me, um, we can kind of unpack it and then it looks a little less scary when you're like, okay, this is, you're, you're, you're dealing with depression, you're sad, you're, you're frustrated, you're ashamed about, you know, things in your life, the lack of relationships. And then it's like, then they become more manageable. And, and it's mm -hmm. like, okay, now I can, um, now I can work with this and, and kind of start addressing it. So I think, yeah, that's, I guess one of the things is just kind of unpack it and, and, and explore some of those negative thoughts and emotions a little bit. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's great stuff. I mean, it's almost like reverse engineering or just kind of biting an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. And just, I really like that. You said just kind of unpacking things and looking at one box at a time versus looking at the whole U-Haul, you know, you, you crack open the U-Haul, you look at all the boxes, you're like overwhelmed. So I think unpacking and then how, how do you, how can really your loved ones best support you when you're kind of struggling this way as well? I know because some of this time, oftentimes it doesn't really just affect you. You have family and friends oftentimes who are kind of seeing you or witnessing you or hearing you talk about these things. How can how can loved ones best support someone who's struggling in this way? I think, uh, you know, one of the things is just really being able to be there for them. Uh, listen to them if, if they need that. Um, I think one of the things that I, I enjoy, uh, when, when I'm more depressed is that like, just even being able to spend time with someone and not have to be like really talking, just even spending time in the same room or something like that, being, being present with someone. And that could be just kind of just, loving accepting them uh as as two people read in the same room so i think just being able to have that presence and stuff and not kind of put demands on that person that's uh kind of struggling to kind of have to like talk about things or something like that i think that can be that can be really helpful um as as a support 
system. Yeah, absolutely. Just like spending time with somebody doesn't, you don't have to talk. You can just sit there and just kind of have their energy and have their presence and mm -hmm. just really just feel their, feel their love and their friendship and their, you know, and all that, all that kind of, I'm, I'm just not good with words sometimes, but all those good kind of emotions and just that good positive energy that you kind of share and exchange. So this is kind of our last question for the day as uh, it's, still, it's still on suicidal ideation, but what is the importance of accessing professional mental health support when you're managing this chronic suicidal ideation? And how can we work to reduce the barriers that prevent individuals from seeking this, in my opinion, this critical care? Well, that's a couple of good questions. I think, I mean, I think the first thing is if you're, if you are having suicidal ideations, like I say this, ha I've had chronic suicidal ideations and stuff like this, and I I've received mental health care. I've gone mm -hmm. to therapy. I'm therapy several times in the past. I'm actually going to therapy right now. And I, I see a, 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 psych a psychiatrist to help monitor my meds. So I think like this is something you do want to talk about to, to if you have with a mental health professional, um, because you, you do kind of want to check that out. Um, and yeah. so, so I think, I, I guess it's, it's good to kind of talk about those things, but kind of talk about that. It's like, I don't, you know, just really talk honestly about, about that. So I think it's good to kind of, when you have these things, explore them first. I kind of, as someone who's had mental health, um, you know, I've had these diagnoses for over a decade and stuff like that. I think it's different for me. It's like, okay, I know that it's not, but the risk level isn't, isn't there. So I think that's one of the things like, Initially, yes, go kind of kind of explore these things, but also like understand that, you know, it's like I'm having some of these thoughts, but they're not that extreme. And I think if we can kind of be able to talk about that and kind of talk mm -hmm. about that spectrum level for yourself um, or for other people, it, it's it's really helpful or yeah, yeah for the generic audience. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really like that word. I was thinking spectrum the whole time. It's really as a spectrum. It doesn't have to be severe. You know, it can be on a scale from one to 10 or on, on mm -hmm. any kind of spectrum you want to rank it on. So, um, but yeah, I think just talking and being open and honest and not really hiding it from, from your, especially from a, from your professional medical care team. So um, yeah, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate with your over a decade of experience kind of in, in imposing that wisdom on, on our listeners today. Steve, well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you kind of touching on several topics that we touched on. Um, dealing with different cultural backgrounds, the work you do with suicide prevention, the work with you do with youth, uh, all the fun facts that we've kind of learned along the way, how we share our DNA with bananas um, and some of those things. And then some of the serious topics, I really like the, the analogies that we touched on, like dealing with self-care and self-soothing, difference between like working out or eating candy bar and some of those things and kind of what we wrapped up with the uh, chronic suicidal ideation. So thank you very much. Do you have anything uh, fun planned for your next outdoor adventure? Well, you know, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to be uh, doing, going hiking, hiking and nice. uh, tomorrow and then Sunday kayaking. So a little, little, little desert and water action. So nice. Going to do a little bit of both worlds there. Yeah. So that's and for those of us lucky to be living in the Northern Nevada near the Sierra mountains, it's awesome to kind of take advantage of the outdoors. So I, I'll definitely have to be catching up with you and joining you on one of these uh, awesome outdoor adventures, my man. So thank you so much for your time for coming on. And thanks for my audience for listening to another episode. This has been the Lifting with Bipolar podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Lifting with Bipolar. Stay connected with me directly through jonathancharco.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at jonathancharco. As always, thank you for pushing your mindset and heart towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please leave a review of the podcast, as well as subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, 
be kind to yourself and each other.